guys can grab a seat. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one. You're more than welcome to look on an electronic device as well. Um, it's a big chunk, ten, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. We've been, we've been working through this book for quite a while now, and it's, it's, it's a really cool kind of pivotal time in this book because uh, similar to Ephesians, when we worked with Ephesians, you got to spend the first kind of chapter two understanding who, who we are seated with Christ, and then it turns to this like standing with Christ, and then walking with Christ. These kind of big transitions at work. We're coming up to a really big transition in Hebrews where he's spent all this last four chapters on this high priest discussion on Jesus Christ being the high priest, being a, uh, Jesus Christ being greater than the old covenant and the new covenant being better and, and, and grander and more important and all those things. But it's also about to make a change, a shift into faith. And we, at the beginning of this book, kind of at the beginning of this year, I challenged you guys as a church that this is a year that we're going to, we're going to work on what does it mean for us individually and as a church to risk faith. And we, two years ago, we talked about authenticity and us having a life that, that was marked with authenticity. And then last year, we, we challenged you with maturity. And, and our hope is this year, through the maturity and authenticity that God has done in you, you'll be able to, to, to risk faith this year in some way. We haven't necessarily thought specifically how that's gonna play out or what that means, but really feel like God is calling us to be uh, big faith people with, with the willingness to risk. And so we're excited about that because specifically this book transitions into that very quickly, but he does what every great sermon would do or every great speaker would do about a sermon or teaching is they would kind of recap the pinnacle, the understanding of everything that's happened. And so what he's gonna do here today is he's gonna, he's gonna say once and for all kind of what I've meant and what we've been talking about when it comes to Jesus Christ being our high priest. And so he, he digs in right away. So let's go ahead and read it. Verses one through 18, chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every Year. And so again, he's, he's talking about the sacrificial system. He's saying, if the sacrificial system, the Levitical system that was still in play while he's working with these, these Hebrew people, this is still happening, it has not been destroyed by Rome yet. He's saying, if this system had worked and it had taken away the sins, then they wouldn't have needed to keep sinning or keep um, sacrificing animals. It would have been done. Instead, their consciences would have been cleared, which we talked about a few weeks ago. The idea that, that the, the blood of Jesus Christ clears our conscience allows us to walk guilt-free because of him. And so he's saying, instead of it being a, a beautiful thing, if there's a reminder once a year, and he's, he's kind of just jabbing, kind of making a point of the, the, the Day of Atonement. Once a year, they're reminded that they are still sinful people. They need the priest, the high priest, to make the sacrifice in the temple, in a room, to, to appease the sins of all of the nation of Israel prior. And so he says, if this was still happening, they wouldn't, it wouldn't even go this way if it worked the way it was supposed to. So then he goes on. Verse four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, so he's giving credit to Psalm 40 here that he's quoting, that Christ is the one that, that wrote this and says this. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. 
Then I, Jesus, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he, when Jesus said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So he's, he's contrasting Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament. He's contrasting those. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Again, quoting Psalm 110. He's done that a number of times. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is long chunk of, of, of scripture talking specifically about, again, I think dealing with a very, very big issue that the authors speaking to the, the Hebrew people are dealing with. Remember, if you, if you remember all the way back at the beginning, we said that there was this issue with a persecution starting to happen. It's not, it's not at its, its height. It's not even close to what it goes to, but they're starting to feel persecution. Those that have submitted their life to Christ said that he is the Messiah. He is our king. They have, they have divorced themselves in a way from the, the previous sacrificial Levitical system and said that there is no need for these sacrifices because I have Christ in this sacrifice. Well, what started happening is life got difficult. And things got hard and persecution started happening, whether it was friends or coworkers or, or family members. Those that weren't committed to Christ, weren't submitted to Christ, started persecuting or, or treating or speaking against those who had. And so what they were doing, instead of, instead of holding strong, standing firm, being confident in that, what they were doing is they started shrinking back to a religious system. They started going back into the Levitical system, which is which is really interesting, which the author here is basically saying, look, the first is a shadow. It's, it's, it's a pointing to the second. Once the second is ushered in, it literally makes the first obsolete. And so what they were doing, what these Jews were doing is they were, because of persecution, because of fear of not fitting in or, or losing um, income because there was a, they were starting to segregate in that way, they they ran back to the sacrificial system. So they took Christ into the sacrificial system, saying, okay, well, we believe Jesus Christ, but we're gonna also operate this way. They ran to religion. And the reason why I believe they did it is what the author's talking about here is because they forgot what Christ really did for them. They lost, they lost sight. They, they, they misconstrued their life with it. And what happened is, is ultimately a Jewish person that was following Christ would have some sinful act that would have been, hey, I broke the law, this is what I did. And they didn't take confidence that Christ's sacrifice actually covered that. They, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't believe that. And so instead of standing confident that Christ had taken care of this, they worked their way back into a religious system in hopes that that would appease it in some way. If I, if I spill the blood of a pigeon or if I do these things, then I'll feel right because it's just, it's a little weird to say blanket, I'm right because of what Christ has done. And that's what their persecution was coming at them. 
Now for us today, the reason why I think this is so important is I think we do the exact same thing. None of us are looking for a temple to sacrifice pigeons or goats or, or bulls. That's not happening. But we do run to religion. And you wanna know how I see this on a regular basis in my own life and other people's lives. When we, when we lose sight of the finality of the cross in Jesus Christ and what he's done, and we, we sin, we make a mistake, we struggle, we, whatever we do, instead of running to the cross and the finality of that and recognizing it, we pay penance. We do more. We keep ourselves busier. I must serve more so I'll feel better. I, I, need, to, I need to pray differently so I'll feel better. I need to do these things so that then I can feel like I'm justified and I'm saved and I'm healthy and I'm whole. We lose sight of the very brilliance and power and amazingness of Christ and the cross and the finality of it. And so we run to religious systems. We do more. We keep ourselves busier, all the while ignoring the fact that, that Christ has already sacrificed for us. And so the author, he takes a, a few things in here. He takes a, a few Old Testament scriptures and he just kind of hammers this point home because he's literally, in the next verse, says, therefore, and he talks about our full assurance of faith. It's really hard to have assurance of faith if we don't believe in the finality of the cross and what it means for us in our sins and our struggles. And so he, the first reason why this is a big issue is what he quotes in Psalm 40. He's saying that ultimately that Jesus says that I, behold, in verse seven, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me in the scroll of the book. Right after making the argument that we know that ultimately bulls and goats and all that stuff was a mere pointing to what the, the, the purpose was. It was, a, it was a shadow cast for what was coming in Christ. It was never meant to be the finality of it. We know that it didn't clear our conscience. It didn't do, it didn't actually change. It didn't really take away the sins as a whole. It was just this kind of blanket covering, but it didn't deal with our heart issue. And so Jesus is saying, look, I have come to do the will of the Father. So when we don't believe in the finality of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, we're basically saying that although Jesus did your will, God, it wasn't enough for me. We're, we're saying that ultimately, like, yes, it, Jesus literally says he does the will of the Father, and this was it. His will was for him to be sacrificed once and for all. But if I don't, as a follower of Jesus, if I don't submit myself to that and recognize that that is covered once and for all, and I start minimizing it or I run to religion, I'm saying that although Jesus does his will, it's still not a good enough work for me. And so this is why it's so comical or so weird for us to run to a religious system. For these Jews, they're literally running to a system that in 70 AD, just a few years after this book, is gone. No sacrificial system in place after that. It's just toast. And they're running to this old system in place of what they have in Christ. And he's saying, this is, it's foolishness. It don't, don't do it. He goes on and says that not only is that an issue, but really, the biggest struggle that most of us have with understanding the finality of Christ is our own sinfulness. I mean, show of hands, who in here didn't sin this week? Right? No one, right? I mean, my hand was up because I was trying to show you how to raise your hands, okay? I just want to be clear on that. <laughs> we all deal with it. We all struggle with it. We've all battled. And this is one of those times where there are a number of translations in Scripture that, that will play out, and sometimes they, they miss a word slightly. Nothing super overt, but this, this one, if you have a couple different books that are normally translated fairly well, verse 14 is translated, in my mind, a very deficient way for us. 
it makes it really difficult for us because verse 14, if you look at it with me, it says in the ESV, which is what I'm reading on, it says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Some versions remove the being. And it reads, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the error in that is that the, the te- this is the right tense of it. It's a present tense. It's happening. The error is that it's, it's saying being sanctified, he's perfected or sanctified or completed those who are being completed. So what he's saying here is, is in, it's important for us to gather. And this is what I think is in conflict with us understanding the finality of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. The sin that is covered our, or the sacrifice that has covered our sins, is that we have to read this text and read this this way where he's basically saying, you're perfect. You are in Christ, you are perfect. And he's also making you perfect. You're complete, and he's completing you. It's very important for us to understand that. What he's saying specifically is those who have been sanctified, those who are perfected, were perfected through the forgiveness of sins so we no longer have to pay the penalty for them. So I can stand before God whole, complete, confident, not by anything I did, but because of the spilling of Jesus Christ's blood on a cross for me. How I know that I'm in that spot is because I'm being perfected at the same time. This goes back to our discussion about maturity. One of, the, one of the marks, when John taught, he said specifically, one of the marks of someone that knows that they're a follower of Christ is are they maturing? This is the same thing. He's not saying that, that if you're not being sanctified, you're not sanctified, but he's literally saying those who are sanctified are being sanctified. And I know that it's the same thing. He's saying those who are holy are being made holy. Those who are complete are being made complete. Those who are perfected are being made perfect. Guys, this is, this is the issue we have. We, I, say, I stand up here and say, look, the scriptures say you're, you're in the throne room of God and you're holy and everything's great and, and you can be in the presence of God. You're going, yeah, but what about last night? What about, what about the, the week before? What about the same thing that I keep doing over and over again? Well, this scripture is telling us very clearly, very succinctly, if you wanna know if you're truly following the Lord, if you wanna know if you're really submitted to God, then you will see sanctification in your life despite no matter how slow or fast it is in certain areas. You will see yourself being made holier and holier and holier. What does this mean? Married couples, this means that you shouldn't have the same fight for the next 20 years. I, mean, I should get a hallelujah, amen from some married couples, right? It means, the same, like, it means that, be, why? Because you're, you're, you're being made more holy. So your selfishness won't be what confronts all the time. Those of you that, that continue to, to struggle with addiction, you don't have to be controlled by it because the power of God is stronger than any addiction. And over time, he will sanctify that. He will change that. He will grow you. He's perfecting you. In fact, it goes a little bit further and it says fix our eyes in Hebrews. It tells us to fix our eyes on Christ, the author, the founder, and perfecter of our faith. Not only is the beginning of it, but he's the one that's going to finish this work. We're told, the Apostle Paul tells us that he is, he's, he's committed. He's not, he's not flippantly. He's not like accidentally, but he's committed to finishing the work that he's actually begun in us. So when we come to our sinfulness and we run to a religious system in spite of what Christ has done for us, not only are we saying, Jesus, I'm really glad that you did the will of your Father. It wasn't enough for me. But we're saying that really, at the end of the day, I don't believe that your blood really covers my sins. And so 
we have to recognize that that's what the author is hammering in here. He's, he's pleading, he's, he's poking at us very, very intensely. And he does so by quoting not only this scripture, but then also going on to differentiate the two systems. So he talks about this, this profound and beautiful word that, again, for most of us doesn't make a lot of sense. But he says that ultimately when Jesus was sacrificed for all times, he, but when Christ, Christ uh, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, so first off, I wanna just reread verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time, okay, I, like, I didn't do the full word study, but I'm pretty sure that's all time, okay? So that's, that's all time last weekend in your life? That's all time a decade ago, and that's all time 10 years from now in your life. It's all time. What did Christ do? In fact, just to hammer the point home that he was done, that this part of his work was done, he sits down. He's seated. We see the seated position most of the time as laziness, like stand up, do some work, man, get up, you know, get out and move, like let's do some stuff. In here, it's literally a picture of completed work and at the right hand of God is that there is God's affirmation, authority given to Christ in that and saying, yes, it's done. And so when Christ sacrifices his body one time, he covers all of my sinfulness. All of it. All of your sinfulness. Once and for all. And then commits to us. Commits to us. Hey, look, you're you're perfected before God. You've been perfected. But I'm going to keep perfecting. And some of you, you can see this in your life. You're like, man, I used to, I used to get so angry. The switch was just like you, just, like, you just looked at me wrong and the switch came on. And you've seen how God has progressively grown you and, and the spirit has worked in your heart and anger's further and further away. Here, here's the thing. Just, just, you know, in anything, anger, lust, uh, addiction, pride, any of these things, he doesn't just take you to a little bit better version of where you are. His goal is perfection in you. And so that means if you have an overwhelming amount of pride in your early 20s, by the time you're 60, that's going to diminish a lot. Because God is going to say, I'm, I'm, uh-uh, this isn't a me. This isn't a me. I'm, I'm about making you look like me. I sent my son. He did my will. And he, I want you to look like him. I want your life to look like him so that when everyone else sees around you, they don't look at Bren. They see my, my son. And they, I'm sorry, your pride, your lust, your addiction, your greed, your anger, your bitterness, those are not qualities of the Holy Spirit. Just in case you want it, it doesn't say the Spirit is those things. Patience, kindness, gentleness, right? And so any area of your life, if you are submitted to Christ, any area, any area of your life at all that is not congruent with the Scriptures, Jesus Christ, if you are his child, if you are God's child, been adopted in, he is relentless for removing those things from your life. No matter how lazy or complacent you are, he's gonna keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Why? Not because he's, he's just some kind of like, I just want them to be in pain. No, because his goal and what he knows what you were created for, to be like him. And anything that's not like him is not what he wants for us. And so he's gonna keep cutting and cutting and cutting despite our disobedience. One scholar wrote it this way. I'm just going to read it. He says, Christians still sin. Shocker, right? 
As may, as may be seen in the few New Testament passages that call for believers to repent. So he's saying, we still sin. Here are some scriptures that call believers to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 12, Timothy 2, Revelations 2, 16, 3, and 19. Or confess, confess their sins. James 5, 16, 1 John 1, 9. In fact, 1 John says, you're a liar if you say you're not sinning. So you're sinning by saying you don't sin. Okay, also the Lord's Prayer which emphasizes asking for forgiveness may certainly be considered still relevant for the believer, Matthew 6, 7 through 15. Now here's, here's the thing. When believers sin, you need to hear this, please hear this. You are not cut off from relationship with God. When a submitted follower of Jesus sins, you are not cut off. You are not separated from a relationship with God. You're not. In fact, if you remember when we talked back about Jesus Christ being our anchor, into the holy room. He's, he's literally anchored us into the holy room and he's, he's, he's put us in right next to Christ. And so when I sin, when you and I sin, we don't leave that anchor, leave the holy spot of God. Instead, we bring that sinfulness to the holy place. And as, as hard and as difficult as it is, we're still in relationship. And while we're sinning in the holy space, Christ is going, my blood paid for that. I'm your advocate. Look at me, God. I've covered that. I've covered that. I've covered that. And every single time, covered. So you're not cut off from relationship. Although many of us run from relationship when we sin from God. We, we run from him when he's saying, hey, we're still relationship here. You know, the, remember the will that my son did for me? Like that was so that we could still be in relationship. So despite your sinfulness, we're still in relationship. He goes on. It's really good. He says, he says, um, they are not cut off from relationship with God. Since God's new covenant, commitment of forgiveness through Christ still stands. Still stands. It, it, it hasn't gone away, okay? However, the sin committed is one for which Christ had to die as sacrifice. Look, I understand battling sinfulness. Look, I get that. I understand the temptation and the struggle and the selfishness and when it's easier to just say, I wanna do my will, not yours. I understand that. But when we ignore the fact that what God had to do to pay for that was send Christ to die. We are, we are, we are literally minimizing. We're, we're trying to take Christ's sacrifice and move it down to bulls and goats. We have got to recognize that our sinfulness, our, our choices to sin, our desire to sin, our desire to say, you know what, I know what the scriptures say, I don't care this time. We have to recognize that that does not change our relationship for those of us who are in Christ, but it did cost Christ immensely. It cost him everything. He goes on. Had to die a sacrifice. While the evil done does not separate us from God, its cost and its incongruity with Christ's work of sanctification in us still rightly should burden our hearts. Why? Because, because look, when we sin, it's not it's not a part of God's sanctification plan for us. I made the joke last service. I don't know if it actually applies, but I'm gonna use it anyways, okay? It's like we get a car and it's bought for us. And it's drive wherever you want. And we get out instead of driving the car and we just push the car everywhere. When we choose to sin, it's like, okay, we have right standing with the Lord. Everything's perfect, but we're not gonna operate within the way he made it. We're gonna go ahead and try and do this differently as if what he's done isn't good enough or as if what he's done isn't actually the way it was meant to be for us. It's, it's, it's not compatible. 
This is why, when we talked about having a clear conscience, this is why we feel guilty when we sin. Because the very inner of us goes, this is not who I am in Christ. This is who I was apart from Christ. I'm not this person. I'm a new creation in Christ. I can stand in confidence and boldness because Christ's sacrifice happened and it needed to only happen once. And it's done. And he's seated himself at the right hand of the Lord. And now all he's doing is working on praying for us and sanctifying us and advocating for us every single time. My blood. My blood covers that. And he's literally praying for us. Like he prayed for Peter when Satan requested to sift him. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Guys, this does not get any more personal. You couldn't think up a more personal way to be with God. So what do we do with this? Well, a couple things, and there's, there's a number of things. We're gonna do something a little bit different. This may make some of you uncomfortable. I'm okay with it. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna give you a chance to repent, to confess. Not with a microphone, not up here, don't worry. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna give you a chance to do it individually because here's, here's what happens. James 5, 16 says those, like when you conf- confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And so many of us believe the lie that confession will actually ruin relationships around us, which let me, let me just settle this. It may cause a lot of difficulty around them. But you don't have to keep walking with this, with this sinfulness. You don't have to keep carrying this burden. So the bitterness or the anger or the frustration or the, the lack of grace or the, the addiction or the lust or the pride or whatever it is that you keep carrying around, you don't have to keep carrying around. And so I wanna give you a chance to confess, to repent. Because here's what happens, two things. One is when we confess, it loses its power. I am telling you right now, guys, When you call into light, darkness, it has zero power over you. The very promise of Christ says, what can separate us? What can separate us from the love of God? That is it right there. When we confess it, it is proven. It loses its power. It loses its power. Second thing that happens is um, you stop believing the lie that you're, you're sanctified enough. You stop believing the lie that you're, that's good enough. It's like, oh man, thank you God for, for removing my pride. Well, I'm just like totally healed from pride. Maybe you are, praise God. But God, if there's anything in me, search my heart, declare to me anything, anything that is not bodied by the, the characterization of the Holy Spirit, then I want nothing of it. I don't want my pride, I don't want my anger, I don't want my lust, I don't want addiction, I don't want anything. I want to be free from it. And so I would encourage you, to confess that, whether to your spouse, to an individual next to you. We'll have a few of us back here by the curtains that are willing to walk with you through that. Confess. Stop carrying around the painfulness, the burden that you were never, ever meant to carry. Would would you confess it? Maybe you need to get on your hands and face on the ground and just confess to the Lord. Maybe that's all you need to do is you just need to confess to him. But here's, here's, here's the profound thing that happens. I had a, one friend, he actually attends here still. He, a few years ago, he comes to me after a service like this and he comes over. We said, we said hey, we're gonna give a chance to pray. He's like, would you pray for me? I've cheated on my wife. And it's like, yes. So we prayed for him and then we walked with his wife through the, the painful recovery of reconciliation 
and they reconciled, and God did an amazing work in both of them, and it's profound, and they're still loving Jesus and loving each other, and it's just, it's just a true work of a submitted follower of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, right? It's like six months later, six, I don't know, seven months later, I'm off on the time. We had another service, and I don't even know if it was me preaching or something, but we said, we started talking about confessing sins, and, and this was being something that was brought up, and he comes back, and I'll, I'll tell you, my heart dropped. I was like, oh, no. And he goes through this again, and he comes back, and his face is totally different than the first time he came back. He's like, I just want to tell you, this is the first time, the first time I've ever sat in church and someone mentioned confessed sins, and I didn't have a pit in my stomach because I'm free. Guys, you can have that. You can have that freedom. The lie that you keep telling yourself, the lie that you believe from the enemy, that if you just hold on to it, it will save your marriage, it won't. If you just hold on to this bitterness, it'll somehow make you happy, it doesn't. Would you confess and experience the freedom? Some of you, it is the beginning of confession. I am not the God of my life. I need you, Jesus Christ. Would you be my Lord and Savior? Everything apart from you is not worth a single thing. And so we're gonna give you some time. The band's gonna come up and we will play for a little bit. We'll give you guys some time to confess. Whether you need to confess with someone else, you're welcome to confess on the card that we wanna pray for. But here's, here's the thing. Some of you, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Some of you are like professional confessors, okay? You're really, really good about saying what you did wrong and then not letting anything follow. That may release the pressure valve for a moment in your life, but it doesn't solve anything. If you wanna see God work, it's a submission to him. It's a repentance. It's a turning from this to him. It's not just, a, well, I did this, and I'm just, you know, I suck at this, and this is the way it is, because that's not true. You're perfect if you're in Christ, and he's perfecting you. And so I challenge you to, to confess. I challenge you to push into God. I, I encourage you to, to feel the freedom that my friend felt when he didn't have the pit in his stomach anymore, like, oh, he's talking about me. I know I'm supposed to do something about this. Imagine, like, just let me, let me just breathe easy for a second. You have a clear conscience already in Christ. That's done. Okay, that's, that's what the scriptures told us. You are perfect in Christ, that's done. Why in the world would we try to operate then with a guilty conscience and imperfection when we already have everything because Christ did it once and for all? Some of you, you, you think you can handle it. I'm just gonna tell you right now, you're not confessing because you're like, okay, it's been a week since I last did it. I got this under control and you don't. You believe that you are strong enough on your own and that is a lie that the enemy uses to keep you isolated from everyone else. Submit. Let yourself be healed. Let the very thing that he's said on repeat for the last four chapters, hey, it happened. Christ died. Your sins are covered. That sin you're going to do tomorrow, the sin you did with your, your kids this morning in your anger, the sin you did last night at that computer screen, all of it is paid for at a high cost to Christ so that we can stand in perfection. Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray that we wouldn't be a people that just go through the motions. Lord, I pray right now for, for the individuals in here that know they have that pit in their stomach that my friend was talking about. It's like, just like, oh, I know I'm supposed to do something with this, but the fear seems greater than letting go of that. God, would you give them the courage to confess? And would you let them see profoundly with, with your eyes, it lose its power immediately in front of them? and your blood covering it. God, I pray that every single individual in here would be ready to A, confess, B, receive that confession and point them to the scriptures. 
God, when we, when we eliminate something from our lives, it needs to be filled, and so I pray that your word and your spirit would fill what we, what we purge ourselves of. God, whatever is in us or of us that is not of you, God, cut it away. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we do that because you first loved us. May we stand to people confident, free, within the freedom that you set us for, set us free for. Excited to be your children, walking this world, recognizing that no matter how far you've taken me, you're gonna take me further. God, may there be an eagerness in us to remove sin like there's an eagerness in us to see you someday in the feast. We pray all this in Jesus' name.